Hello and welcome to the IBMS Biopods. I'm Rob. And this is Becca. These Biopods will give you an insight into Congress with exclusive interviews, behind the scenes chit chats, and maybe even a drop of science. So put down your pets, move away from the microscope, and get ready for a Biopod deep dive. This Biopod, which was recorded at Congress, we talked to the IBMS's very own Alan Wainwright about education and professional development before catching up with Biomedical Scientist of the Year, Joe Horn, covering topics ranging from histopathology reporting to social media. Right, let's open the Biopod door and welcome in our first guest, Alan. Hi, Alan. Welcome to the IBMS Biopod. Lovely to have you. Um, for the benefit of our listeners, would you like to give us a bit of a description on who you are, yep. about you and what you do? Okay, I'm Alan Wainwright. I'm Head of Education at the Institute of Biomedical Science. I've been there 19 years now. I'm registered biomedical scientist and my professional history was started off in cellular pathology, worked in immunology, went into managing a chemistry laboratory and finally pathology management. So I sort of represent a good cross spectrum of biomedical science disciplines. And then when I joined the Institute, I always feel I reinvented myself as an educationalist and uh, thoroughly enjoyed what I've been doing over the last 19 years. It's been been good. Uh, what, what made you reinvent yourself, Alan? Um, funny enough, I went went for a general manager's job at the trust I was working for and didn't get it. And I was then left with, um, because they reconfigured the, the structure of pathology, I was sort of left managing support services, which really didn't appeal to me that much. Support services, phlebotomy, specimen reception and transport. So I wasn't really using my professional knowledge and skills in the way I wanted to. And then I was very involved in the London regional branch of the Institute. Um, and I got elected onto council and on the way to the AGM where I would hopefully hear that I was going to be the new council member I saw an advertisement for a job in the institute and I thought I can do that total serendipity pure chance and um, they were advertising for a professional manager um, and as it happened, the job that they were actually advertising for, the person above that left, which meant I could go for a higher job, which was perfect for okay. me. Yeah. Everything fell into place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And how bi- biomedical science has changed a lot mm. over the last uh, yeah. 19 years. I imagine the Institute's changed a lot as well. What's... It's changed a lot. I, mean, I was very fortunate because when I joined, it was just at the time of the NHS plan and um, very ambitious changes around pace structures, professional regulation um, and, and development of the, the work for scientific workforce. So um, as I joined it and then Sarah joined a, a year later, we put all our efforts into developing qualifications, looking at regulatory requirements. Uh, we created the certificate of competence, which is now embedded in all of our integrated degrees. And I was responsible for the degree accreditation, which I meant I went out and talked to um, people at the universities a lot. I talked to the employers a lot. We, our time was filled with giving presentations and developing the profession, which was, which was brilliant. And we just spent all our time doing that. Yeah. And and why has professional development and education and examinations and qualifications, why have they changed so much over the last couple of decades? Is that driven um, by changes in it's, the sector? Or? Yeah, it, I think it's um, the whole concept of, of developing the workforce was in response to technology changes and professional regulatory changes. And what it really did was open the door for us to look at opportunities. There was a document called Making the Change, which had a, a um, description of, of registered practice up to 
consultant practice and that became our vision. It was a vision of modernising scientific careers, which is something we had to work with, but it also said you could be a consultant biomedical scientist and that was important to us. So this was about recognition, um, responding to the change in service delivery, but really driven by a need um, to develop our members and through a qualification and, and knowledge skills framework. And at the moment, is, is the kind of trend to broaden routes of entry or to, to narrow them down? What's the, what's the kind Iron of direction? Well, ironically, the, um, the modernising scientific careers was aimed at having single point of entry for all of the healthcare science workforce. And the biomedical science routes, which were three at the time, accredited degrees with a degree, without, uh, with the training, without the training, and non-accredited degrees were seen as too varied. We've actually now got double the number of routes in because we've got equivalence routes into the profession, we've got apprenticeship routes, we've still kept all of our traditional biomedical science degrees and we just responded to basically lack of funding, um, creation of apprentice routes created a new opportunity and we've just sought out opportunities to develop the workforce in as varied and flexible way mm. as we could and that is also in response to the employers because they wanted flexible routes. They wanted to be able to match the resources they got to the opportunities to to get involved in education and training. They didn't want to be pinned down with one type of entry. So, and, and with the, the rise of uh, genomics, mm. and do you think that that that's good, that's going to make things even more complex as we get more kind of uh, specialisms yeah. within biomedical science? Are we looking at even more complexity with, within? professional development. Okay. More, more complexity in one way, but we saw it as an opportunity because until 2007, um, clinical genetics was not part of the biomedical science benchmark statement. And it, it based on history, but genetics was not seen as a traditional pathology discipline. So when the benchmark statement was changed and genomics became more an area for development, we saw that as an opportunity to populate the labs with biomedical scientists, whereas traditionally there have been clinical scientists and medical technical officers and you, and most of the workforce was not a biomedical science workforce in the lab, so they didn't have biomedical science degrees. But with the development of genomics in, across disciplines and molecular pathology, it just opened up other opportunities. Yeah. So that's been embraced. It's made the, it's, it's following the trend in terms of technology and scientific advances into the disciplines and it, I can only see it continuing to grow in that direction. Are there any other areas where you think we can pinch those as well? Um, point of care testing is a biggie in the sense of it's always been part of pathology but it's actually getting out into the community more and it's not so much having a problem with other professions doing it, it's making sure that pathology are quality assuring it and, and that the standards are appropriate to the profession. So I think, I think really um, extended roles with the community, we're looking at things like prescribing as an area that biomedical scientists can do and it's using the knowledge and skills that we've got to basically um, get people to be operating at the top of their ability not not towards the lower end mm. which means letting go of some of the stuff at the bottom creating opportunities at the top what stuff should be should, uh, should we be kind of letting go and do you think that's something that should be passed on to other sectors or is that something where we're looking at AI and robotics coming ah, in and taking off mundane one. repetitive yeah. tasks um, 
When I started, most of my training early on would be equivalent to support staff level at the moment. We didn't have support staff. We were trainee biomedical scientists or medical laboratory technicians at the time. So certainly the way technology's gone, there are routine tasks uh, where people are just following standard operating procedures and, and that is not really what the graduate needs to be doing. So the, the routine tasks can be let go, specimen reception and things like that. We can... We can um, have management over those and quality assurance of them. The robotics and the AI is an interesting one because that's going to change the way things are reported. And again, there are it's pattern recognition in, in many cases and there's opportunity for biomedical scientists to do that across the disciplines. We're doing it in cellular pathology, histo reporting at the moment, and pattern recognition is, is basically cells in hematology, it's plates in microbiology. It's been done with the cytoscreeners a lower level and I think it's using our abilities to to do that and given the short the potential shortage of medical staff there are opportunities to move into those areas and I think that will be aided by technology um, bioinformatics is another big area that we haven't really got into but biomedical science lend itself to that it's interpretation of data yeah. so yeah plenty of opportunities do you, do you think any of them pose a threat as well? Um, Say, for example, with digital pathology, mm. we've got the pathologists kind of controlling the machines. But yeah. Will there ever be a point where the machine is able to be an autonomous piece of equipment? Yeah, I know where you're coming from. Um, I think the preparation of the slides is, is always going to be within the biomedical science area, but support staff will do some of the more, the easier stuff. I think the problem with, with AI and machines doing too much is they're only as good as the information that's gone into them and they can do broad guidance towards what the diagnosis might be, but I still think you need somebody qualified to make that final yeah. reporting decision. I think it'd be very difficult if a machine had total control of something and that would be, I could equate that to an aircraft where the pilot at some stage might need to override the computer to save lives. I would not want to think I was totally in the hands of a computer if things went wrong. No. <laughs> and um, for people who are currently in education mm. and uh, they're going through the system, they're looking forward to being a biomedical scientist, what do you think the future profession will look like for them? Do you think they've got uh, that there are going to be more disciplines? Do you think it's going to be a harder environment? Do you think there are going to be there's going to be more CPD? Um, I think there's potential for discipline boundaries to start to dissolve a little bit, particularly with, as you mentioned, molecular pathology and, and technology. I mean, we've seen it with chemistry and microbiology, and some of the analyzers will 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 do tests that traditionally were done in one or other discipline. Immunology crosses over into um, hematology and chemistry these days. So I think I think there will be a merging of disciplines, but where young Youngsters have opportunity to develop. We heard this morning, Congress, about the um, physician's associates and biomedical science graduates make very good um, entrance into those um, programs. And it's basically a two-year program where there's a discrete area of practice that's linked to diagnosis and clinical interpretation. And I think our profession will expand into those areas. Um, there's talk of 
changing biomedical science degrees, graduates from biomedical science degrees to top those up into other areas of healthcare which are short and difficult to recruit to. So from an educational perspective, I think the opportunities are there. I think we've just got to be aware of the opportunities, not be too precious about hanging on to things that don't strengthen our profession and look for opportunities that do. That would be my take on it. And in your presentation this morning mm. at the IBMS Congress, um, you talked about how important it had been historically to maintain the identity yes. of biomedical scientist. Yeah. yeah. Why is that important and will that always be important? I, th I think it, it's, it's been important for over 100 years. I think it'll always be important. And to give an example, when it, just to show how uh, receptive people can be to propaganda and politics, somebody rang up and actually asked if the Institute would still be open to members in six months' time because they'd heard there was going to be a new ar overarching body for healthcare scientists. And I, I think you need a professional body that under understands what the profession's about and that loyalty to the, to the profession is what drives the development of it and I think that's why it's important that we retain that. It doesn't stop us expanding into other areas but but for me I, I feel very strongly that bi the biomedical science identity, the use of the protected title is very important and just because we don't feel recognised does not stop us doing a good job. That is a nice note for me to pass you over to Becca. So, I think we'll kick off with, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, take any opportunities that you can. Excellent. That's how you got your job. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a favourite piece of lab equipment? Um, not really, no. Um, I can't think of one okay. as a favourite. <laughs> That's fine. Do you have a favourite pathogen? Pathogen? Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> That's very boring of you, isn't it? I'm not a microbiologist, so um, Do I don't tend not to think of it. Cell? Uh, yeah, glomeruli, kidney glomerulus, okay. because of the architecture of it, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Who is your science hero? My science hero? Oh, crikey, that's a difficult one. Uh... Alexander Fleming comes into mind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For somebody who's not a microbiologist, that's an interesting <laughs> one. <laughs> yes. I um, think discovery of penicillin was so game changing. Yeah. Excellent. Can you describe your job in three words? Uh, exciting, very bu busy, and challenging. Excellent. And finally, what is your favourite thing about Congress? Just meeting people, people I haven't seen for years, the networking opportunities, and just being able to contribute to the development of the profession. We now have overrated, underrated, oh, correctly right. rated. <laughs> so first off, team building exercises. Are they overrated, underrated, or correctly rated? Underrated. Oh, do you want to know why? I don't, I don't think we make enough of them. Yeah. Um, we don't use them as in as many opportunities we could do. I think people can learn about themselves. They can learn about other people from them. And you always take something away if you engage with it. They're only underrated if you don't engage with it. Uh, overrated if you don't engage with it. And lab coats? Um, essential. Um, I, I don't know if they're overrated or underrated. Probably rated correctly. They are the essential piece of equipment in the laboratory. Socialising with colleagues? Mm. 
Depends. <laughs> Depends on which comment. It, yeah. Let's move swiftly on to um, leaving messages in birthday and leaving cards at work. Oh, uh, it's just something that's done, but, I, but I've been on the receiving end and it can be very pleasant to have them. Maybe correctly rated? So correctly rated, yeah. Uh, social media in the workplace? Um, I'm not a fan of social media, so I think it can be overrated, but that's because it's tendency to misuse it sometimes so yeah i'd go overrated overrated and finally overrated underrated or correctly rated night shifts probably underrated because um but yeah why have i said underrated i think it's the um I don't know if it's night shifts so much or just flexible working that, that that's really behind it, but it's making use of equipment and providing a better service and um, sometimes, and also greater flexibility for the workforce. Not everybody wants to work daytime or can work daytime. So I think it creates opportunities that don't necessarily exist with, without it. Alan, thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Hi, Joe. Thanks for coming to the IBMS Biopods with me and Rob. Hello. Um, if you just want to give yourself a bit of an introduction, who are you? What are you about? What do you do in the world of biomedical science? <laughs> well, I'm I'm Joe, and I'm currently uh, biomedical scientist of the year. As if you walk in, thank you. <laughs> if you walk into um, the ICC this afternoon, you can see a big picture of me, which was a bit of a shock. I'm, I'll be honest, this afternoon. Um, so yeah, that's that's a really amazing thing. But day to day. Um, I guess I'm a National Council member as of this spring, so this, that's another new thing for me. Um, but in my sort of working day, I'm an advanced practitioner in uh, histopathology at uh, University Hospital Southampton and um, focusing really on dissection reporting of um, gastrointestinal gut specimens. So let's um, talk me through, Joe. You're a very busy person at Congress this year. Yeah. Talk me through the different sections that you're doing and the topics that you're covering. Okay, so really, I guess I've got two roles this time. One of them is completely new. I've only ever been for just over one day in my whole career. And this is my first time being here for the whole of Congress. So I'm pacing myself, firstly. So one of my roles is, um, as a council member is to support uh, the Institute and the, lots of the supportive functions that council members um, deliver over the few days, which is things like chairing sessions, but also giving talks. Um, so I'm obviously doing that, but I'm also doing a workshop on Monday afternoon about uh, interesting cases for cellular pathology. That's a, a brand new workshop, so I'm really excited about that, and I'm running that in collaboration with um, a lady called Chantel from Nequas, uh, who's doing some interesting cases, some EQA cases, um, so that'll be a really good session. And then uh, Tuesday, I'm doing a Hall 4 talk, so one of the free um, talks, where uh, people can come and learn about what they need to do if they're about to sit the reporting exam in histopathology, which I have uh, done it, I've been there. So it's it's about experience and practical things that people need to do to get themselves ready. And then the person that's um, talking before me is doing a very similar thing for the dissection exam, which I've also done. So I'll be going to his session as well. 
Uh, and then Wednesday morning, I'm doing uh, my sort of more formal talk on um, histopathology reporting and you know, what's happened in the last two years because I gave a similar talk two years ago. So really this is just looking at uh, what the progress has been and um, what the exciting opportunities are for the future. And then as well as all of that, um, we've got three open sessions um, at different times on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday with me and other people from the histopathology reporting conjoint board where people who want to know more about the dissection and reporting qualifications can just come and have a chat with us. That seems like a good point to jump in and say what has happened in the last two years with the reporting programme? What have the changes been? That's for my talk on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> no, this will be going after your talk so we're not breaking any okay. embargoes. Um, well, uh, lots more people have qualified. So when I did the talk on well, it must have been September 27, um, sorry, 2017, I'd just finished training. I was just about to get my CCT, my Certificate of Completion and Training. So um, and I finished that at the same time as one other person. And, and then it's been like dominoes. Loads of people have followed us after that. And um, so lots of people have completed training. Lots of people have moved to consultant jobs. So there are a number of people now practicing at consultant level alongside medical histopathologists in both GI and gynae. And also about two years ago, we launched the dermatopathology modules. So people are now in training for that. So you've got people in the second year of training. And obviously more and more people have joined um, in the last two years. So those are the kind of the the general things that have happened. But the, the thing that's really changing is, is the workforce crisis that we all knew about. We knew about in 2012. That's why the reporting programme started. Um, but actually, that's really, really um, sort of commonly known about now. You know, there's a, a figure that came out from a workforce audit done by the Royal College of, you know, only 3% of laboratories have enough staff to deliver mm. the clinical histopathology workload. Um, and that's made it really, really um, sort of made people really aware that that's something we need to deal with and that there's an issue there. And so we're now looking at the national structure for um, training for scientists in histopathology in both dissection and reporting. Um, and how we look at that, because, you know, it is still quite disjointed. You've got mm. lots of different... Um, bodies doing different things and what we really want to do is just bring everything together and give everybody amazing opportunities and advanced practice in histopathology. Because the NHS is quite fragmented and different trusts function in different ways, is it something that's possible to kind of have one uniform structure and everyone working in exactly the same way? Is, is that what you're aiming for and is it something that you think you know, I can see us doing it, we just need to do X, Y and Z. I don't think anyone will ever work in exactly the same way because there are different workforce needs in different trusts. So if you look at those of us that are already qualified in a working consultant level, I work differently, I have different roles to other people um, employed by other trusts. But if you look at other national training programmes for scientists, for example, the STP programme run by the National School, that's national training which is delivered to a certain standard and is delivered nationally. So you can still deliver national training, but have different kind of ways that you interpret it locally, yeah. depending on your needs. So I think that's the, the kind of the national model we're looking at. Yeah. yeah. And, and you've been very passionate about promoting careers and mentoring. 
What, what took you in that direction? <laughs> the, the thing that really took me in that direction was the um, CSO Wise Fellowship, which I was awarded. Actually, that was 2017 as well. <laughs> Lots happened in two <laughs> yeah, years. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was a game changer for me, to be honest. I went into it wanting a platform, actually. I was already interested in this kind of advanced practice and sort of promotion. And I was looking for that platform and I was looking... Um, I guess, for a wider audience to know about histopathology. Um, and so I applied for the fellowship and then met just an amazing group of women on it. And we're such good friends now. And as part of that, we did a leadership development programme. But one of the, the really powerful things, we did coaching and we were assigned mentors. So we were each assigned two mentors. Um, and one of my mentors is still my mentor. And she's changed my life. She's changed my outlook. Um, she's changed the way I think about things, the way I deal with challenges. And it was just such a powerful thing for me personally. That I wanted other people to know about that and to have that opportunity. And because before I had the fellowship, I wasn't really aware of those opportunities. And I, it just kind of came in front of me. And, and I think I want to put it in front of other people so they've got the opportunity um, to develop themselves in the way I have as well. And, and what makes a good mentor? And is it quite challenging when, as you say, everything, everyone's so time poor at the moment, there's so much pressure on the NHS and on biomedical scientists, and it must be hard to kind of step, step back and find that space to do mentoring and, and mm. have the time to do it. How do you do it and what should a good mentor be looking to do? Well, uh, a good mentor is, I think, somebody who knows how to listen to somebody and isn't just ready to jump in and tell them what to do. Um, for me, you know, my mentor, I don't think she's ever told me explicitly what I should do, but she's listened to what I've said. And then she said, go away and think about this and, and frame things. And, you know, these are the messages, those underlying messages that you're giving me and go away and think about what that means to you and then what decisions you might want to make based on, on that. And, um, and so that made me go and explore um, kind of the theories behind that. And I did some reading. Um, and so I think it's that kind of that learning and development that you need someone to push. So I think, you know, she, my mentor had had formal training on mentoring and coaching, and now I've gone and done that as well. So now I've I had the kind of idea because I, I think you naturally can do that. Everyone's got it within them, but I think having the theory behind you is really really important. So I think uh, a good mentor will have some training behind them, um, but equally they should have a natural ability. But, but they need to listen to people and just not tell them what to do. And and for me, I mentor some people now. Um, some that I work with within my department, but others that I don't work with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and we, we do it in a number of ways. If I'm in the same city that they live in, we'll go and have brunch. Sometimes I get a message, they say, can we talk? And we just find the time and we just have a chat. You know, you can make half hour, you can make an hour for anybody. It's, it's important. And I think for me, it's, it, it doesn't matter about time pressures. It's about valuing the importance of actually taking a step back sometimes and to actually think. And also, it, it's, it's easier for me because I'm a very high reflector. So I'm all about taking time, <laughs> stepping back and reflecting on things and thinking about things. And if someone's listening to this, 
thinking, that sounds brilliant, I wish I had a mentor. How would someone go about getting a mentor? Um, well, I, in my trust, we have a formal programme. So I accessed one through my trust as well. So I say that's the first thing to do is actually um, have a look on the whatever it's called, staff intranet, and actually see if there's anything formally available because there may already be something there. If not, I would go to the education and training department and I would actually ask because there may be something that's informal. You may be directed somewhere. Um, I, I know that the Institute are interested in this area as well and it's something um, they're looking at exploring and I think that is a really, really good and powerful thing to do. So hopefully they maybe something through the Institute in, in the fullness of time. And alongside that, you've been quite prominent on social media and played quite a big role in kind of highlighting the role of the profession. Yeah. What, what do you think the public perception is of biomedical science and why do you want to change what that is? I, well, that's quite sort of timely, actually. I, we've got a lot of work to do. We've come, we've made massive strides. For me, one of the most powerful things that I did was running the at NHS Twitter account. And that was advised um, to me when I was doing the fellowship and I didn't know anything about it. Again, it's someone putting something in front of me. It's those opportunities and not being scared of it and, and just going for it. And I'm a lot more savvy at Twitter now than I was when I did that. I was really learning as and I went. Just so our listeners know, that's when you take over the Twitter account for 24 hours? Is that It's right? a week. A week. Monday to Friday, 9am um, till 5pm. And it's a different person every week. Sometimes it's shared by different people. And it's a different person who either works in the NHS or maybe as a patient or has some kind of um, involvement. And it's fascinating. And when I did it, I can't remember the numbers now, I had 27,000 followers. And it's doubled, I think, in the last mm. sort of two years. Oh, wow. And it's a massive, massive way of reaching people. Um, and I advise everybody to have a go, especially if you're working in an area. You think no one knows what we do. You know, it's a, it's just an amazing and quite straightforward way to reach people. You know, I applied for it, and I was doing it a few months later. Um, but I, it's timely as well. I went into a school this week um, to do a. a a one-to-one -one sort of STEM visit for a student that was interested in um, studying biomedical science. And it was a real eye-opener for me because uh, she'd spent the summer thinking about what she wanted to do. And she'd obviously gone away and researched it. And it's really, really clear to me this week that there's a perception that we're isolated. We don't have any communication with anybody outside of a lab. We're all in the basements. And f for me, in my job, that's not true. I have a huge amount of communication from my clinical roles with, um, you know, the, uh, the clinicians as part of MDTs, but also as part of my education role. Um, you know, and, and we've all got that within us, even if it's you know, when you're starting out, it's an outreach role. You know, you go and do a careers fair. We've all got that opportunity. Um, but people don't perceive that. They see, they, they see it on TV programmes, you know, that the person in the lab, you know, doesn't talk to anyone. And, and it, was, it was amazing because the, the person I was speaking to, she's sort of seeking reassurance that actually if I had a career in biomedical science in the laboratories, would I actually get to work with other people? Would I get to collaborate and communicate? And it was just such a thrill to spend an hour telling someone of the amazing opportunities and 
I think they're only going to increase. And is, is there one thing, if you were to give members one piece of advice so they could go away, take some kind of action and go towards changing that perception of biomedical science? Is, is there one easy thing, one small thing that people could do? Uh, I would say join Twitter. I think that's the best platform um, for getting out there, to be honest. It's, it's not as scary as it, it appears. Um, uh, I think that's a really a pretty easy way of reaching people straight away and and also getting support and actually forming these sort of networks you know you say oh we're all really busy it's really hard to physically find the time to go and have meetings to go on courses to to gain education but twitter is a really really powerful way of doing that within your sort of professional networks it's been it's been life-changing for me to be honest and lots of the people i'm going to meet this week I've possibly never met before physically. Mm. You know, we've met through professional kind of networks on, on Twitter, and I would say that's the easiest way. Um, and I would say the other thing is, is outreach and careers fairs. So it's really, really hard, especially in your early career, to, to get the time to go out and do those things. You think, oh, it's what the education lead might do, or you think that's what this person might do. But actually, it's for everybody. Outreach is for absolutely everybody um, and I would say if you get the opportunity to go and do a careers morning or to go and do a STEM talk you know it's really easy to sign up as a STEM ambassador um, I would say go and do it I think it's it's really important Brilliant. okay so these are light-hearted and uh, so don't think too much into them so we'll kick off with something quite relevant actually and you, you might have covered this already but what's the best piece of advice you've been given it's probably going to come from your mentor. Um, it is. It's actually on my computer screen. I have it stuck there. I'm going to... Or if you work with me, you'll know this. But the best advice is to be a fact finder. Um, and I have that on a piece of paper stuck to my computer. And it's because um, my brain's slightly anxious sometimes. And, and I worry about stuff that maybe is never going to happen. And um, I... I have that piece of paper because when I'm, my brain's doing that, I look at it and it reminds me to wait until I've got the facts before I worry about stuff. It's really good advice, actually, just for everyone. Yeah. It's quite nice to have a look at things. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Um, who is your science hero? Oh, I've got too many. Um, I think it's all the people that like me and just quietly get on with it and get the job mm. done so it's the quiet ones the unsung heroes the unsung yeah. yeah and some of them i know from twitter and, it, and a lot of people it's not necessarily the people that shout the loudest mm. it's it's the ones that just get on with it i yeah i think they're the inspiring ones and and i'm all for building them up and supporting them great yeah. um can you describe your job in three words Bloody, <laughs> <laughs> pooey, uh, amazing. Three words I've never thought I'd hear together, but there we are. Excellent. Um, what is your favourite pathogen? Helicobacter pylori. Oh, tell us about it. <laughs> uh, it looks really pretty on the Warthin starry stain that I do and probably see a few times a day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what's your favourite piece of lab equipment um, well oh, it's hard to describe but essentially it is 
um, a, a block of perspex and it's got an, a smaller block attached to the top of it. I don't know why I'm describing it with, with my hands because you can't see this. Um, but you hold on to the, the smaller bit that's on top of the glass and I use it to cut good slices of tissue when I'm dissecting. And what it does is it gives me control with the knife, but it also protects my fingers. And that was designed for us um, by our engineering department at my trust. And it's my favourite, my most useful, um, bespoke most well. bespoke yeah. um, piece of equipment I've ever had. Great. And finally, what's your favourite thing about Congress? It's meeting all the people yeah. that I've never um met physically before all those amazing people that I've been talking to and collaborating with on Twitter for the last two years but I've never actually met and actually just people coming up and going oh hi I know you from so and so it's just it's amazing it's really rewarding and you'll get flagged from your face on the billboards as well <laughs> like there's <Yes>. Joe <laughs> excellent okay this is overrated underrated correctly rated okay. so I'll say something and you've got to tell me how you think it's rated um Team building exercises. Oh, overrated. <laughs> why is that? Because I'm a high reflector and that gives me anxiety just saying the words. And I know that's not probably the PC thing I should say, but uh, sorry. Lab coats. Oh, overrated. Sorry. Um, <laughs> because I'm quite reactive on my wrist, so I can't wear jewellery. And so anything touching me for a long period of time, I get sort of these stupid hives almost. So I'm not a massive fan of how it goes, I must be honest. Um, <laughs> and also, if you're cutting up specimens with poo and blood um, and you have an apron over it, not even that can... Yeah, it's not great. Yeah, white is not the best colour. It's, it's not brilliant. <laughs> I should do a murky reddy brown. <laughs> yeah. Uh, your engineering department could do you one, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Um, Socialising with colleagues. Underrated. Uh, I think it's obvious reasons there. Yeah. Um, birth, <laughs> kind of signing and writing messages in birthday and leaving cards. Oh. Well, what was the third option? Uh, underrated, overrated or correctly rated? It depends who the person is. Correctly rated. Correctly rated. <laughs> Uh, social media in the workplace, I think you can guess at this one. Underrated. Uh, and finally, night shifts. I've never had to do them because I work in histopathology. Lucky well, does. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think we chose it? <laughs> Thank you very much Thank to so much. Biomedical right. Scientist of the Year, Joe Horn. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And don't forget, this can be used for your CPD. See you next month for another Biopod. This is Becca. And Rob. Signing, signing off. off. Bye. Bye.